0: Welcome to the Mile High Five Podcast. My name is Carl Jensen and
1: I'm here with my co-host. I'm Doug Huntington. Doug, what is happening? Things are great. It's sort of the, the height of the, the summer right now and it's been hot outside. So I talk about the weather all the time and it's been about 100 degrees and it's great to record down here. It's about 64 or so and it just it feels nice.
0: Yeah, I agree. It is absolutely terrible outside. I'm a person who could be comfortable outside with a t-shirt on when it's 50 degrees, so I like the cold. I err towards the cold. Because if it gets cold, you can put on more clothes or turn up the heat, but when it gets hot, you can't do much. You can only take off so many clothes without getting arrested out in public. So, yeah, the heat does not sit well with me. This is probably my least favorite time of the year as far as weather. It's beautiful. I like the sun, the green. hiking, although it's all going to be yellow soon here in Colorado because it's so hot. But yeah, um, very hot. What else have you been doing, Doug?
1: Well, speaking of hiking, I I got out for a pretty nice hike um, with one of our friends and. A guy named Robert, who was actually on the show here a few episodes back with Robert and Carla. And we hiked a couple 13ers. Super fun, uh, very challenging hike. We took a day off on a random Tuesday. So not many people on the trail. And we uh, it was Paiute Peak and Mount Audubon. So those are over by uh, like Brainerd Lake, if people are familiar. And yeah, it was fantastic. A lot of scrambling. So we took a very steep route. We're sort of using it as a, like training for climbing Longs Peak sometime soon. So it was, <laughs> it was tough. We had to wake up at about four in the morning to get on the trailhead early enough. And you know, I ended up doing pretty well. I I wasn't sore afterwards. Um, it's up high enough in elevation where you take a few steps and then you have to take a break and then you take a few more steps and take a break. And then you're trying to navigate, um, scrambling essentially. There's no trail, uh, for a lot of the most challenging areas. So you're kind of scrambling and you have to use your hands and, and that sort of thing. So,
0: Okay, so I know you did Long's Peak a long, long time ago when you were a much younger man. It, I've never done it before, but I'm planning to with you hopefully in September. How similar was that scrambling to what's at the end of Long's Peak? I think all the scrambling and Long's Peak is at the very end, the trough they might call it might be called.
1: Right. And then So it's been long enough that I don't remember as well. <laughs> so I think it was I think it was very similar. in in the scrambling portion, and maybe even the the length is roughly the same as far as that um, sort of class two and class three climbing that you're doing. But with longs, you're hiking six and a half miles before you even get to that point. So you're pretty tired. Of of course, it's a little bit higher, but it's nominal. So we did talk to another hiker who... It's like I hit puberty again. We talked to another hiker who recently climbed longs and he said that it's, it is very similar, but longs is just longer. There's more of it. And you don't get to that challenging part for several miles. So by the time you get there, you've already done like sort of a normal, a normal hike.
0: I have to admit, Doug, that I'm a little scared of longs peak. I've done 14 ers before, including a bigger one, Mount Whitney, in California, But that one is just basically a very, very long walk. There's no steepness. It's much longer, but there's no, it's very gradual. So I think longs will be a much bigger challenge. Plus, like you, when you did longs, I was much younger. So I'm curious to see how this one goes.
1: I was uh, actually, I'm scared of doing longs again, <laughs> but doing this hike gave me more confidence than I just chatted with, uh, robert recently uh, after the hike and he said i feel much better about doing longs because i mean it's a pretty long stretch of like scrambling and getting getting up very steep and the cool thing with longs there's going to be enough people there's going to be folks in front of us that we could just sort of follow the path that they're taking so we won't have to figure it out in fact i (laughs) robert's a Great hiker and I, I was trying to keep up with him and the thing is I had him lead most of the time and sort of do the trailblazing and figure out where we were gonna go. It's very mentally taxing to figure out um is this a safe route like if you if you fall if you slip in, in all this gravel like how far are you gonna fall down so but once I get up, I mean, I'm scared of heights generally. I don't like working on roofs or anything like that or climbing up ladders and having to hop from one, like a ladder to the roof or anything like that. And, you know, you're on some ledges, but, you know, usually, at least the height that we did, if you fall, you would just fall like a couple feet till the next boulder. I mean, it wouldn't be fun or anything. On longs, you can fall like hundreds of feet or thousands of feet in a couple areas. Obviously, um, that's bad. So there's some handrails and stuff in in those uh, more treacherous areas, but um, it will be challenging. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, I've seen those pictures. I think they call that part the ledges. And uh, yeah, I have to say, when you look at something online, it's usually... In my opinion, less intimidating than doing it in person, so I'm not looking forward to that part either. Maybe I'll call him sick that day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I think we should try. I, I would hike the the uh, Paiute and Autobahn again, and like I said, that's a great training run. Like after doing Adam. Doing that, I feel a lot more confident to do some scrambling and, and whatnot. So, yeah, we we could do it again. The great part is up at the the peaks at like thirteen thousand feet, the temp was like forty eight degrees up there, but it was sunny, so it felt awesome. It felt really nice up there. That's awesome. Yeah. So, what about you? What have you been up to?
0: Yeah, we've just been entertaining. Uh, there's lots of people coming through town. We just had the waffles come through town. Ray and Sarah, who we interviewed. And Ellen and Katie Donnegan from the Rebel Entrepreneur Choose FI podcast are going to be in town next week. But I have a funny story to tell you, Doug. We we had a bunch of people over a, a couple of weeks ago, and I don't know, there was probably 20 or 30 people at our house. You've seen our backyard. We've got this big deck and a pool. And the next morning, Mindy comes running in with this bottle of magic lube, and and she goes, was this out here last night for the party? I'm like, yeah. She's like, oh my God, everyone saw this. I'm like, so what's the big deal? I'm like, that's a pool gasket lubricant. We lube the O-rings on that so that they don't leak water. She's like, yeah, but if you don't know that, it looks like a, a sexual lubricant, and this was just laying out here on the deck, and it says magic lube in these huge letters. So she was freaking out. So now, Doug, I feel like anyone who comes over who was at that party, I have to Break out the bottle of magic lube and explain it to them. And I'm sure people are people tend to be selfish and they think that other people see a lot more than than they really do. So I'm sure no one actually notices But now I'm kind of curious if um, if some people did notice this and think we're um, we do the deed out there on the back pool deck, which wouldn't be good because all the neighbors would see it and there'd probably be lots of neighborhood gossip about us. So if you saw it at any time, Doug, that isn't o-ring lubricant and not a sexual lubricant but uh eh, maybe we can have magic lube as a sponsor sometime (laughs) if you're listening (laughs) magic lube people and maybe they do have a sexual lubricant too i don't know maybe that's another business line for them. they could compete with ky i feel we need some innovation in that space
1: right yeah i think i think we'll have to do an episode mile high after hours or something like that to get into some of these other topics but yeah i mean i i if they want to sponsor us, I mean, we could test it out, see how the stuff works, <laughs> make sure it's a high quality lubricant, maybe get some flavors in there if we can. Are we talking the the um, the industrial stuff, or that you could use on O rings, or
0: you know, they would have a sweet spot if they did an all purpose one, like it's good for intimate relations, it's good for pools, it's good if it's edible and and rubber safe. <laughs> The pool o ring rubbers, not the, not the other kind. But it would be safe for that as well. So,
1: yeah. Versatility, yeah. Is there, a ma- is there some kind of magic uh, substance that can do all those things?
0: It would be truly magic if it <laughs> could do all those things. All right.
1: Well, that got off the rails real early. Um, Any anything else going on with you?
0: I think that's it. We should get into the actual point of the podcast, the actual topic of the podcast.
1: Oh, quick. Well, before we do, I want to give quick plug to a couple things. One, economy. So you're going to be speaking at economy and we just talked to uh, Diana in a recent episode. So you want to tell us just a little bit about economy or what you're looking forward to or anything like that?
0: Yeah, actually, I don't know. Well, I am looking forward to it, but I'm also kind of terrified because there's about 700 people there and I think they've almost sold it out, but not quite. So yeah, I was in my mind, I was like, well, maybe it'll be like last year with COVID and only 200 people will show up, but no, and that'll be good because I won't have to talk, but it would be bad because Diana would lose money on it. So it turns out it probably will be sold out, which means that I have to give a talk in front of 700 people, which is slightly terrifying. But yeah, so this is a weekend at the University of Cincinnati in oh in Ohio, obviously. Cincinnati's in Ohio. And I can't remember. Is it November 12th? It's one of the first weekends of November. I'm sorry. I should know that. Uh, so it's a weekend event Friday, Saturday, Sunday, a bunch of talks, uh some round tables with um I know JD Roth is going to be there, Joel Saul C Um so lots of big names there, maybe uh maybe Mr. Mighty Mustache, don't quote me on that, I don't think he's formally committed to it yet. But yeah, it should be a good time and I have to speak in front of 700 people and I think I have to have my talk written in like two weeks and I've barely thought about it. Can you write speeches, Doug? Are you any good at that? I could
1: try. I could try. Yeah. And I I was going to say I have been on the fence trying to figure out my fall schedule, a lot more travel this year. So I am uh, just trying to plan properly. But I think yesterday I decided that I'm going to book tickets for economy and go to it as well. So, okay, cool. Yeah. So I need to figure out like when you're flying out and stuff, cause you're going a little early and hanging out a bit.
0: Yeah, I think so. Maybe a day or so early. So that'll be great. If you do the same, we could go explore Cincinnati a
1: awesome. little bit. Yeah. And then um, FinCon, we're we're attending that and I got good news the other day. Um, I'm I'm speaking there. So it will be on a YouTube topic topic. And I'm pretty excited. The sort of cool thing. And I haven't told you this yet. So I was, you know, I applied and I didn't hear anything back. And I thought, Oh, you know what? I'm not going to make it this time. That's, that's cool. No big deal. And then they told me that I was accepted, but they didn't tell me if it was going to be like an in-person because spe- it's a huge conference, right? Like there's some huge sessions and, and such. So I was nervous. I was very nervous thinking I'm going to have to talk in front of a lot of people and I haven't done that before. Luckily, I'm not going to get pushed too far out of my comfort zone. It's a recorded session, so I literally can record it down here and um, it'll either be played or just available online. I'm not sure how, how they're doing that exactly, but still, it's an honor to be uh, you know selected. Doug,
0: I have to say I'm a little bit disappointed because I was looking forward to you giving a speech in person, and if it had come down to that, I would promote the shit out of it. So the room might have had a capacity of a hundred, but I would be out in the halls trying to recruit people to come to it. Like I know it's only a hundred, but Doug really needs four hundred people. If he gets four hundred <laughs> likes, he's going to do something. Cor- I don't know. You see those stupid tweets, right? So yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And it it would have been it would have been okay. I think um, you know we'll we'll figure we'll figure it out for for some time. But yeah. So, I'm speaking there. We're going to be there. So, you know, people, if you haven't booked your tickets or whatever, you know, check it out. And finally, and that'll be my first FinCon, too. You've been to a ton of them, but you're going to show me around, which will be nice to have uh, some veterans to, you know, show me the ropes.
0: Yeah, it's a ton of fun. And it's going to be in Austin this year. And for listeners, this isn't just a thing for bloggers or content creators, they actually have a community pass which allows normal people to go there and hang out to it. And my very informal um, questioning of people, the last one I went to, that sounds ominous questioning of people. Like I was interrogating (laughs) the, I was waterboarding the attendees, but I would say between 10 and 20% of people were on that community pass. So they were just uh, people who didn't create any content that just wanted to come there and hang out and see these people who they, whose blogs they read or the podcasts they listen to the the content creators. And it was really cool. Um, Hanging out with those people were some of the most fun because, uh, I don't know, they appreciated the content and you weren't just talking about SEO and that kind of shit. You were
1: having a beer and talking about whatever came up. So Right. And as someone who's only been to one conference like this, um, I think there could be a uh, I don't want to get in trouble here. There could be um, some agenda when people walk up to you, if they are promoting something and they they think maybe you can help them like grow, which, you know, technically a, a person could, right? But if they don't have a blog and they're there on the community pass, they're just hanging out. They just want to chat with you or whatever. They have no agenda, which is kind of nice.
0: Yeah. Maybe someone will have an agenda to get your autograph, Doug, or a <laughs> selfie with you.
1: I, there's been a lot of questions about the mesh t-shirts and stuff. So we, we do need to circle back. It's been busy this summer, but we we could find a supplier so it's comfortable. It won't chafe nipples or anything like that.
0: <laughs> the, so. the neon green mesh tank top.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mile high. Okay. And then the fi- the final thing before we get in, this is a, a mailbag segment. I mean, that's the title of it. So everyone knows we got some great questions, but the last thing is um, just camp five. So we, we got back. I had a great time. It was super fun. I think we may do um, an episode where we talk about it a little bit more, but it was really fun. It wasn't too busy. I think some conferences or some gatherings or retreats, they're they filled with way too many activities and you get tired. This had a lot of <clears throat> this had a lot of open space. So we were able to really just talk and chat, go on hikes and, and hang out quite a bit. So. I had an awesome time probably going to some others in the future. And um, yeah, any any thoughts on Campify?
0: Yeah, I think exactly what you said is correct. The downtime is, it, this sounds like I'm dissing Campify, but the downtime was some of the best time. So what Campify is, there's about four talks that are probably 20 to 30 minutes long. There's a couple roundtables. And then the rest of it is downtime and just having lunch. But what it does is it encourages interaction with everyone who goes to these things which is the most it might not seem like it but it's the most valuable part of the whole thing so the way steven has set it up is it really lends itself and leads to that and you make connections there i've talked to a bunch of the people on, on email all writing we're gonna have a probably a little reunion when alan and katie come to town in august So, yeah, I thought it was great. Uh, Those have been some of my favorite things to attend in the FI space, and I think I've been to like five or six of them now. I'm probably an addict. I should probably join a group or something to talk about it, But and I'm sure I'll be to many more. I guess if I could pick one thing to continue to attend, it would probably be that, and they're having two more, I believe, this year. There's one in... Minnesota, which is Labor Day weekend, and I I did attend that one. It's really, really beautiful, right on the, I think the St. Croix River. Uh, Don't quote, no, it's not the St. Croix River. That's what the place is called. Uh, But it's right on the river in Minnesota or close to it. Just a beautiful space. So if you're anywhere near the Twin Cities or Wisconsin or Chicago, make the road trip up for that one. And there is another one in November, I think, at Joshua Tree National Park or right outside it, which sounds really beautiful, too. I'd love to go out there just to see the the sky at night, see all the stars because you're in the middle of nowhere. So I don't know. I might, I can't go to the Midwest one, but I might try to hike it out there to Joshua tree. We'll see.
1: Very cool. Yeah. So people check it out. I think, um, yeah, we'll put links and stuff so you can see if there's any availability. So this is a mailbag. So thanks for all the, to all the people that sent stuff in. Um, we're going to get to as many as we can here. And we actually have a little feedback from our last Q&A segment. So, Carl, do you want to tell us about this email that we got?
0: Yeah, okay. So, we'll start off with that one. And this one came from someone named Gabriel. And he was very kind. He was complimentary, too. So, it just wasn't all anger and vitriol. So, he says, I want to start this off by saying that I very much enjoyed your podcast. I started listening on day one, I think you meant to say, and like the conversational and down to earth tone you guys have and Although they are long, I enjoyed listening during my two hour drive home from my country house. But I went back and listened to the q and a episode, which I somehow missed. I have to say that it was sort of a big waste of time. You guys answered three questions, I believe, one which was pure drivel I don't remember I don't even remember the questions, but okay. So then he goes on to say, what pro- oh, this is the drivel question. What product would you like to have indefinitely? Really? This is a real financial Q&A question. I think you started off great with how you would do FI now, but then the whole thing really went to shit. I left, <laughs> I left you guys a great podcast review. Thank you for that. So I'm not a hater, and I don't think he is. I, I didn't take any issue with this email. But something about the pure indulgence of asparagus and pea talk, Wow, yeah, we we did go in that direction, Doug. Even involving the dog. I don't remember the dog being involved. Maybe we were going to feed the dog asparagus and see if the dog had asparagus. I don't remember. But it was just really tasteless. Yeah, I I can't argue with that. <laughs> Maybe keep the long diatribes a little briefer. They are funny, but a little goes a long way. You could have covered some serious questions in one hour and 45 minutes, but instead I felt robbed of my two-hour podcast time. Again, this comes from a good place in my heart not mean spirited. What do you think, Doug?
1: I love getting feedback, you know, especially thoughtful feedback. So I think he, he had some great points and thanks for the review. You know, that, that is helpful for us. Um, it's funny because (laughs) I had a, that was one of my favorite episodes to do. We walked out of here, and we were laughing upstairs. My wife um, heard us laughing down here. She's like, what are you guys doing? It was so much fun. Did you have a good time like on uh, that episode?
0: Oh, yeah. It was hilarious. I, I had to contain myself from, I don't know if we had to edit that one, but yeah, I couldn't. sometimes you get to the point where you can't stop laughing and you're out of control. And that was, which doesn't happen too often. And that was one of those times.
1: Yeah, it, it was super fun. So a cu- couple things. And then we'll actually, I want to go back and answer the product question again to see if we have any other thoughts now that he pointed out that it was a uh, legit question. (laughs) Um, But I, I have a YouTube channel and I've done like over a thousand videos. And there's a phenomenon when, especially with YouTube or a similar platform where people get burned out. So they start doing the videos that they think they're supposed to do and they, it becomes a work and it's not as much fun. And there's a popular YouTuber named Peter McKinnon. He's a videographer, filmmaker, photographer, YouTuber. And he, he's pointed out a few times, like, Hey, if you want to avoid burnout, which he has run into a few times, you have to do some, some of the content for yourself. So, do a video you want to do. He may do like a short film to make sure that it's something that he's passionate about even though his audience may not love it it's not going to be as popular it won't get as many views. So, I think without even thinking about it, I ended up Carl's laughing at my answer already for the people that are <laughs> for the people that are just listening. I feel Gabriel's already getting upset at us again, but stick with us, man. We're going to pull through. So anyway, inherently, I think I knew that we should do these episodes like this. That'll be really fun for us. And, you know, when we're interviewing people, we're preparing ahead of time. We're really trying to do a good job. And that, could, that can be a little bit more like work. So I think it'll be important for us to do these kind of sillier episodes occasionally. It's pretty fun. And I think we have gotten other feedback that other people enjoy it too. Self-indulgent? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's part of it. So it's, it's one of those kinds of episodes that may not be as popular, but we'll have a great time doing it. And then for the really weird people in the audience, they will enjoy listening to the just offhand stuff that is unrelated, long tangents that are a little too long. So that, that's my general thought. Great feedback, 100% valid. And we understand and we're, or at least my take is we're selecting to do things a little bit differently than some of the more uh, professional shows like most of the other ones out there.
0: Yeah, Doug, I think that's a great point. And I was thinking while you were talking, not about what I was laughing about, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what that is later, um, off air. But anyway, so the way I look at this podcast is there's a couple different things we could do. We could do a show that's just for us, something that we really enjoy, that might not make money, hopefully it might at some point. I don't know, we've never even talked about that. But anyway, that's a whole other topic. Or we could be super like laser focused on growing our audience and in that case we would be reaching out to people on Twitter, we'd trying to we'd be trying to tag them so they would retweet, we'd be reaching out to influencers and telling them to listen or trying to get them on and then harassing them to, to promote it. But yeah, at that point it would just if we did that the, the thing might be way more successful. Uh but it it, would be, it wouldn't be fun anymore. It would be a job, like you said. So I think if we have to err on the side of being strategic and just growing and getting a huge audience or just being silly jerks, uh, I think we should err on the side of being silly jerks. Uh, a, a lot of these will be useful, like you said. I think our interviews are good. But yeah, sometimes we're going to go off on crazy tangents. And when you hear those, we might just be doing that to amuse ourselves. And I'm sorry, or not.
1: And one other, one other observation, as someone who has been guest on podcast, it's pretty fun to be a guest on a show where they do things a little bit differently versus they just hit the questions and blast through them and it's a little too serious. Carl can't even hold it together. <laughs> He's, uh, I'm going to try to describe his face for the people that are listening to the podcast. It's like he ate a lemon and his his whole face is like scrunched up. He he can't. He's trying not to laugh out loud. <laughs> he's doing a, a okay job. Um okay. I'm going to try to keep driving through here. So The question about the endless product. So my thoughts on on this, like that was, uh, I think our friend Carla supplied that question. So what was the original question? Just remind me. I think if you could have an endless supply of anything, what would it be? So as I was thinking about this, preparing for answering it again, I, I was thinking I usually would want to have that to be a consumable and the the largest quantity of consumables that I even purchase is probably food so i I think my answer was uh, pizza or hamburgers right so I think I would still stick with some food product but you know, why not have your favorite food versus something else? And so I don't drive that often. I don't need like an endless supply of gas. And I couldn't think of any other consumable where it would be helpful to have an endless supply. So I think I'll still stick to my food idea, but I'm not sure, you know, what else a person would need in an endless supply. Uh, Yeah. What do you think?
0: Yeah. This is a difficult question because when I think about it, there's two ways you can go on this. It could be, Something you use all the time and spend a lot of money on, like your example, is great gas, so if you drive 50,000 miles a year, you want a free supply of gas because that's costing you money. But another thing, another way to look at it would be something that's rare or hard to get, and I'm trying to think of an example or something that's exclusive, like if you liked a certain type of beer, like Pliny the Younger, which is this beer released once a year, if you really like that and that really move the needle for you in your life you might say that just it's not really money it's just uh it's a rarity thing it's hard to get i'm trying to think of a answer i have and i i remember when that question came up i just copied yours and said pizza too which was completely terrible and lacked creativity on my part and yeah i i need to think about this one a little bit more because i'm I'm trying to think there's nothing Okay. We need that costs a lot of money, and I'm trying to think like what is rare and hard to get that we need in our life on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. You know, it just goes back to like a good Chicago pizza. I'm stealing your answer for the second time, which makes it even worse, Doug. I'm really sorry I'm just totally screwing this podcast.
1: That's all right. If you think of anything else before we finish this show, then maybe you can mention it. But just as a external uh, observer, I know you guys go through a lot of that magic lube, like you, you guys had like the Sam's Club version of it with like the squirt top thing. I mean, it was—I don't know how many O-rings you have, but
0: <laughs> those O-rings get pretty dry, especially <laughs> as they get old. Um, yeah, I, I wonder if we could get a fifty-five gallon barrel of it just in our backyard, like just a huge thing would probably last—last uh, last us a year or something like that. But yeah, magic lube, here we go again.
1: All right, I, I don't know if the result of us re answering the question was any more helpful. I think perhaps we get worse. But Gabriel, thank you for sending in the question. And we actually have a follow up from Gabriel, but we'll we'll come back to that one because I want to hit th- these couple questions from Matt who in. And first one is top phone apps that you love or that are super helpful.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to go off on a slightly different tangent. I'm going to tell you about one phone hack, Doug, which I wrote about on the blog a while ago. I use Google Voice, which is an app that gives you a virtual phone number. So I actually don't have a phone number tied to my phone. Well, I do, but I don't even know what it is. I don't use it. So I use a virtual phone number. And what that allows you to do is make calls and do everything over data. So what I did with my phone, we have a phone plan on Ting, is I just turned off the phone part. So I don't even know how much that costs, but I just use data. So if someone calls me or sends me a text, it all goes over data. And from a technical perspective, your phone would not normally do that. It would use the cell phone network. And then the phone company would charge you like per text, or I don't know if they even do that anymore, but they would charge you for cell phone minutes. Uh, the really cool thing about this, and I think they might do this anyway. If even if you're on a conventional phone, is everything goes over Wi-Fi when I'm at home. So oftentimes my phone bill will be like eighteen dollars a month, and I use the shit out of my phone. But it's just I don't use data intensive stuff. I'm not watching YouTube on the road or anything like that. And everything goes over the data network. I'm usually around Wi-Fi, so I've minimized my phone costs. And the great thing about Google Voice is there's all these features on it like you can block certain people if people that you don't like call you you could set up the thing where it goes do 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 the number you have called has been disconnected like that thing so i've done that to a couple people um well not now they know my secret so yeah that's my first one so google voice is a great app you can save money and have all the beautiful features another thing you you can do with it real quick is forwarding so it's a virtual number you don't even have to have it associated with your phone. I can log on to my PC and have Google Voice forward a call to any phone in the world. It could be a a landline or whatever. So it's tremendously useful. um, Google Voice.
1: Awesome. And I, we were chatting before we started recording and I said, I pretty much hate my phone and I, you know, try not to use it too much. So I don't have any interesting apps that you haven't heard of. I watch a lot of YouTube on my phone and I use really the Google suite of products. So I have like Gmail, YouTube studio. I have Google drive, Google photos, several other things. I use an iPhone though, but I just, I'm in Google all the time and Google maps of course. And I really, like I said, I try not to use my phone too much in general and i'm I'm happier when I don't use it as much, so yeah, I would say the only app which crosses over uh, for my you know my Macs and my iPhone is LastPass, and it's a password manager, so I use that all the time I have these you know crazy long complex passwords that I don't have to remember anymore. It generates it for you. So do you use any password manager like that or
0: I do. I use the same one and that's absolutely what you should do. LastPass is great.
1: Okay. So that I mean LastPass is probably the only one that's kind of interesting and you know very helpful. It keeps keeps your stuff secure or your password secure and and stuff like that i mean i remember i don't know how we would manage these days with all the different logins that we would have uh you'd have to have a notebook with all your passwords which obviously is a a security issue if you actually wrote down your passwords like that so cool any other apps that uh you want to mention
0: yeah i've got a couple more i use you mentioned the google suite i use google keep to keep track of all my to-do items in life do you use that one or a different one at all
1: No, I just use a notebook, usually.
0: Okay. I think, uh, have you ever heard of Marco
1: Polo before? Yeah, yeah. One of my buddies tried to get me uh, and some other folks to use it, so you you use Marco Polo? Yeah, I have an aversion to talking to people on the phone.
0: I don't know, it just seems weird. Like I don't usually call friends, but... Marco Polo allows you to get to some middle ground where you can record a message and then send it to them, and it's asynchronous communication so that it sends this video message and then they can respond whenever they want. So I don't actually have to have a phone call with someone, which I really dread. I could just send this Marco Polo if I want to say something or need to do something that goes beyond text but less needed, or when I don't need to make a phone call or when I don't want to make the phone call. yeah, I, I hate phones, too. I, I can't stand them. I think uh, if Steve Jobs knew what they were going to be, he might not have done it. They just suck up your time. They destroy your brain. So I try to use the phone for anything that will give me my time back. And uh, I just wrote a couple other others down, like electronic banking. Does anyone actually – well, I suppose lots of people do this, but you don't need to go to the bank or an ATM to deposit a check. You could just take a picture of it and do that, For and that takes like 30 seconds versus – hours to go to the ATM or bank every month and all that stuff. Who writes checks anymore either? God, I wish there weren't checks. Ah.
1: I was gonna say, yeah, who's who's writing checks? Occasionally I'll get one from uh, my dad, you know, if he owes me some money or something. So yeah, it's like there's
0: Venmo and PayPal. I guess PayPal's for older people now according to my daughter. But one more I'll throw out there really quick is the Fitbit app. So I've got a Fitbit which is this health rate monitor thing on the wrist and one cool thing it has is a heart rate monitor and it keeps track of your heart rate over time and it's pretty cool i wish i could say that i was the exact same weight all the time but i'm not and i go through periods where i work out more and you can see it with uh you can see the heart rate in the app you can see it where it's been for the past week for the past month and even longer periods of time so I, I can look at it i looked at it this morning and saw wow a couple months ago my heart rate was high and i remember i wasn't exercising i put on a little bit of weight it's pretty neat to see the fruits of your good diet and exercise in there because you can see when you exercise and start picking up the bike again that your heart rate starts to trend down. And it's pretty motivating, I think.
1: And I, I forgot about that. I, have a, I used to have a Fitbit, have an Apple Watch now. So I do use some of the same you know, uh, capabilities and, and data that you can get, exercise, sleep, all that stuff. I think I just use like the native app in the, in the phone, um, whatever it's called it's like health or something like that. So kind of keep track of all those things. And for me, I know my like resting heart rate and like sleeping heart rate goes up when I have more than like two or three beers, like before, before bed ish. So little hack, just drink earlier in the day. It doesn't impact your sleep. So I don't know. You are not able to do that. You have to pick up your kids from school and stuff, and they don't want you coming in smelling like alcohol. That would be bad. Yeah, they, they hate that. So, okay. All right. I think we can move on to Matt's second question. Top podcast that we enjoy regularly. So I will let Carl go, go first again here.
0: I'm going to have a little bit of an unconventional answer to this one. So I, I think Tim Ferriss is great, but his are hit and miss. But there was one I listened to that really stood out, and it's been so good that I've gone back and listened to it multiple times in my life. And this is episode number 60, and it's Tim Ferriss's interview with Arnold Schwarzenegger. At, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is an interesting person. If you listen to this, he's kind of an asshole, but he's actually really smart too and there's all kinds of little life hacks that you can take out of there and it's very motivational too i'll just say one thing that he mentioned in the podcast that i was unaware of so arnold schwarzenegger came to america and he started buying real estate in los angeles so he and this was like back in the 70s or whenever so the guy was already a millionaire before he ever did one movie and he was talking about how empowering this is he would, say he would go to these casting calls and these people would be fighting over these, these shit roles and he'd be like, no, I, I don't want that and I don't need it so I'm just going to leave and these other people needed these roles so they'd be begging to be in the cat food commercial or or, or whatever the hell and he was able to hold out for the movie role that, that suited him and I, I'd never known that about him but there's all kinds of other very interesting stuff in that podcast I think it's
1: like two and a half hours long but definitely check that one out and since we're plugging specific episodes, I I remember that one on the Tim Ferriss show and really enjoyed it. There's um, a couple others that I want to point out, which I don't have super handy, but I was going to say, I know uh, the Ramit Sethi episodes are, are pretty good. I think those guys are old, old friends and uh, some of the Ryan Holiday episodes. I think both of those guys have been on multiple times. And one of the, one of the things with uh, Tim Ferriss' show, I feel like I listened to maybe the first, I don't know, like hundred episodes, and then I started picking just the episodes that I found interesting. And now, yeah, I probably only listen to one out of every six or so, and I'm not sure. Why? But maybe I just I I heard enough of his like normal questions. Not that you can't get good value from it, but I don't know if it's the guest or anything like that. But any thoughts on that? Why it's sort of lost its luster?
0: Um, yeah, there's a couple reasons. I remember one specifically, and I don't want to be negative, so I won't mention the guest. But this guy was a world class athlete, and I remember uh, Tim. And I had known this guy. He was in a documentary, so I listened to the podcast, and it was. Awful. Tim would ask these these multi-word questions, these huge questions. That oh, was a stupid thing to say. All questions are multi-word. So if, what? Anyway, uh, Tim would ask these questions, and the guy would answer with, like, one or two words, and it was horrible. So it's not always Tim's fault. But then the other thing I don't like is despite the quality of the, the episode, and Tim had to know it was shit. Like, if you look at the comments from this episode, people are like, oh, man, that must have been a hard one to get through. But... You hear the same thing before where he's up there, Oh, this is gonna be an awesome episode. We're gonna have get to talk about some great life hacks. So he hypes it up and then you listen to it and it's like, no, it was kind of the op- opposite of that. So yeah, it's not always his fault. I think he's a great interviewer, super smart guy, but you can't control your guests sometimes. And and I guess uh was an awesome person. He was just nervous or doesn't like the spoken word or <laughs> something else wrong with his brain. <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, that one doesn't ring a bell. You'll have to tell me once we stop recording. Um, and w- one more plug for uh, one of the guests. So, Rolf Potts, who wrote that book, Vagabonding, um, I thought his couple episodes were fantastic. I love, I've listened to them multiple times, and it's really. Um, it made me think about how I was like approaching life and like what I'm valuing and how I'm spending my time and that sort of thing. So th- I think it's a two parter and people should check it out. So cool. I I started listening or I, I heard those episodes right when I was like starting my side hustles and stuff. And it, again, it really just made me look at like my corporate career versus working for myself and like what I wanted to do longer term. And I could go on and on about it, but check out that episode, Rolf Potts, somewhere in the 40s, I think. So, all right, I'm going to mention a couple specific shows, and these are sort of hit and miss as well. These are two pretty long form shows. So Lex Friedman, I saw him on, uh, I guess, Joe Rogan's show, and he's a uh, computer science um, I guess he, he's he's a professor at MIT or a researcher at MIT. Super smart guy, does a lot of AI things and interviews a wide range of people. His interviews are great. He sounds very monotone at first and not too excited, but once you work through and, and warm up, um, great interviewer. And I think I told you about Lex Friedman, so you started listening a little bit too, right?
0: Yeah, you did.
1: Lex is great.
0: Uh, he's the type of person who... I think I could go up and talk to, and it would seem like an old friend. It, no, uh, he's not trying to pump stuff up. He doesn't have that nasal radio voice. Welcome to 107.5 The Bear. He just seems like a honest, curious person who just wants to learn about stuff for himself. Just very genuine, and I, I love that one. It's great. Is uh, It is monotone. His delivery is a little bit weird, but I think that's what makes it good, too. That's his power.
1: And he, um, he has a big youtube channel um and i mean he, he wears a suit for all of his uh shows which is quite the contrast we carl and i coordinated with plain white t-shirts today uh really classy <laughs> another show that i listen to is huberman lab so this guy another researcher very smart uh neuroscientist Uh, some long form shows, usually about an hour and a half. And it's like listening to a very dense college lecture on a specific topic. And I'll go, I'll go some days where I can listen to him, you know, several shows in a row and I'm like, oh, this is great. And then sometimes I'm just not in the mood and it'll be a few weeks before I listen to another one, but he covers, you know, fitness, he covers learning, stuff like that. Really cool, really cool stuff.
0: Sure. I'll throw out a couple more. Uh, you ever listen to the Jocko Willink
1: podcast, Doug? I haven't. I've just heard him as a guest on other shows. Yeah, they're
0: super long, folks. If you think our podcast is long, some of his go for almost four hours, but he's very good. He's a really good interviewer. He was originally on, on Tim Ferriss. He was a Navy SEAL commander. and He started his own consulting company after that, and then Tim encouraged him to do his podcast, and now he does that. But uh, yeah, they're very long, and some of th- they're very good too i think everyone i've listened to is excellent some of them are very difficult the last one i listened to was about this journalist who embedded herself uh, in iraq when isis was running rampant over the country and, uh, <laughs> don't listen to it if you're sensitive you'll hear some of the worst things about humanity that you've ever heard i think there's value in listening to that it makes you appreciate your life a little bit more but yeah Jacko is a very good interviewer um uh, You already mentioned Lex Friedman, who's great. Uh, Joe Rogan, I listen to him on a guest-by-guest basis. I think the thing I like about him is he doesn't have a filter. uh, So kind of like Lex, he just wants to to get to the truth and learn and figure shit out. So I enjoy him. I I thought his ones with—I'm an Elon Musk fan, but I thought his ones with Elon Musk were, were pretty good. But yeah, Joe Rogan.
1: I have a couple others. So on the entrepreneurship front, uh, Tropical MBA, uh, great show. It's been on the air since I think like 2009 or something like that, and they cover you know location independent entrepreneurs and they have some businesses that they've created and sold and really smart guys. Uh, Dan and Ian, I actually interviewed Dan for my other podcast, the Doug show about a year ago. I actually need to get in touch with him and interview him again, see what's been going on. Those guys are great. And smart passive income that sort of started everything for me from a side hustle and affiliate marketing perspective. I don't listen to the show anymore I actually, yeah, I haven't listened to many of the recent shows, so I'm not sure, you know, what, what Pat Flynn is talking about, but it's a perfect gateway to get into, um, side hustles, working for yourself, working online and all that kind of stuff. And then the last one that I'll mention here is completely unrelated. It's a guitar, um, podcast. And it's a couple YouTubers. Um, it's called dipped in tone. And I, I think they're mostly electric guitar players, but I just like their personality. So this is one of those where I'm not even, I don't even have an electric guitar and these guys are just fun to talk or listen to them talk and just have conversations about the stuff that they're doing. So there are a couple YouTubers, professional musicians. Um, one guy has a pedal company. I don't, I don't even know the other dude's name. So I've been listening to them occasionally, probably listen to six or seven shows.
0: Cool. I have two more. Uh, the first one is Animal Spirits, so that's with Michael Petnick and Ben Carson. Uh, the The whole thing isn't perfect. Sometimes they'll go into stuff I don't care about, like, like Bitcoin. But generally, it's very good. They cover a wide range of finance topics, and usually I learn something every time I listen to it, and they're pretty entertaining, too. So I, I like that one a lot. That one comes out twice a week and the last one I'm obsessed with Tesla so Rob Moore the Tesla Daily Podcast is really really good and I I like him because well he has a slight bias towards Tesla and the company if there's negative stuff he's not afraid to come out and say it so you just don't get this fanboy cheering how great tesla is even after their autopilot almost ran over a kid and then smacked into a concrete pillar in seattle
1: so he he tells it like it is for the most part so tesla daily i think that guy might have been on the smart passive he was okay yeah i was gonna say that sounds familiar so very cool yeah full circle full circle (laughs) All right. Um, I think that covers it for Matt's question, phone apps, podcast. Any other thoughts there? Yeah, I, I think that's it. Okay. And I actually just thought of uh, one follow-up. So we mentioned a lot of different shows where obviously consumers of podcasts, we're doing this one. Where do you as like a podcast host want to fit? Like are any of these people, um, folks that you look up to and you're like, hey, I'd love to be a combination of you know, this person and this other person or something like that?
0: Yeah, that's a great question, Doug. That's a really great question. And I have thought about that. And I think the closest one to us, and sometimes he's an asshole, so... But it would be Joe Rogan, I guess, because it's just a free-flowing conversation. And, And I think he's pretty much in it for himself. He goes wherever the conversation takes him. He might not go on as crazy as tangents as us, but... Yeah, I feel when I listen to him, you're just listening to a conversation between two friends. And I think we should send Joe Rogan a neon green tank top when,
1: whenever we get those done. Maybe he'll wear it on the air. Yeah, I, I follow him on uh, Instagram. And I think if we get tattoos of his face somewhere on our body, that usually gets his attention. So
0: <laughs> I thought you already had that. No, no. <laughs>
1: No, not yet, not yet. It's just uh, what do they call it? A henna. Yeah, it was just a practice one, a henna tattoo, just to see what it would look like. So okay, yeah, that makes sense. I think in in my head, I like his style as well. Hit and miss, like we talked about. We listen to Joe's show, but usually it's based on the guest and that sort of thing. So, and I, I like I do like Lex a lot, even though you know I knocked him for the monotone, but like a combo maybe a combination of Joe Rogan and Lex would be great cuz i do like the like the really deep intellectual questions and you know getting into feelings and Lex talks about love all the time you know so i think i think a combo of those two would probably be pretty good yeah Here's a quick word from our sponsor. Thanks to the Economy Conference. The Economy Conference, and that's spelled E-C-O-N-O-M-E. I'm not good at spelling out loud, so just bear with me. Well, it has roots in the fire movement. It's going to be awesome this year. Carl's actually going to be speaking, so that'll be pretty fun. And you may wonder, why attend an event about financial freedom when you can educate yourself online or listen to podcasts like this one? Well, community matters very much, and when you decide to take an unconventional path, you may need a little support. Economy gives you the opportunity to surround yourself with an engaged community of people who are doing incredible things with their finances. Whether you're well on your way to financial independence or still struggling with debt, or maybe you're a student and you're about to launch your career, economy is a great Place to uh, meet other people and get more involved in the fire community. And actually, we talked to Diana Merriam back in episode 14. Now, I haven't personally met her yet, not in person. And I thought we were actually going to meet at Camp Phi, but she had some travel issues and she actually did her presentation remotely, which was pretty amazing. There were no technical issues and she did a great job. So I'm looking forward to checking out Economy in November. I recently got my ticket, so I'm looking forward to attending, checking out Cincinnati. I've only been to the airport, and I'm really looking forward to getting some of that weird spaghetti chili concoction from whatever restaurant it is. But it'll be awesome. Hopefully, we'll see you there. Back to the show. All right. Next question. Uh, This one's from Jonathan. Jonathan. How do you guys think about estate planning? When did you start thinking and planning, if you already have, and, or when did you start planning about what to do with your wealth after you died? So, yeah, this is a deep question, and I know we'll be able to give vastly different answers. You have two daughters, so you have a family to think about. So, Carl, what what have you done?
0: Yeah, so I started thinking about this question about one minute after he sent it to us. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, we, we're in completely different situations, and I'll answer this in two parts, the kids and then just money in general. I I once heard a pretty great quote. It was either from Warren Buffett or Bill Gates. I think it was Warren Buffett. And he's got like $65 billion, and his quote was, I'm going to give my kids the money to do something they want, but not anything they want. And what that means is he's going to give them some money, but not a shit ton of it. Like, most of his money is going to go to charity. He's got a foundation. I think he's going to give it to Bill Gates, actually, Bill Gates Foundation. Despite that, I think each kid still gets $10 million, which is a pretty good chunk of change. But anyway, I think that's a pretty healthy thing to do with your kids. And that's what I'm going to do with mine. Funny enough, on the way over here, I dropped my daughter off, my older one, and I had a conversation with her about this very thing. We're pretty open as a family. They know that we're well off. And I I told her, Claire, we've we've got a lot of money, but that's mom and dad's money. We're certainly going to help you out. But I I want you to appreciate the work we put into it, and I want you to appreciate things like college. And, And I think having you work for at least part of it is... Is a good idea. I remember I was like that. My parents didn't pay for my college. I got loans, so I knew I was paying for the whole thing. And God, my loans were like fifty thousand dollars at the end. And up until I got my first real job, I was minimum wage, like three thirty-five an hour. That dates me, but it made me appreciate it. I didn't screw around in college. I'm not going to go for a path that has a questionable uh, income revenue after. I graduate. I'm graduate. i going to go for math, science, computers, stuff I know will get me a decent job. And hopefully I'll enjoy it too. But I need to pay these loans back and I want to get to a better place in life. And with our kids, with so they'll definitely pay for some of their school. And we're not going to... Sorry, um, kids, if you're listening to our podcast, which they aren't. Uh, <laughs> if so, they wouldn't have made it this far. But yeah, I don't think we'll leave all the money to them either or what you got to figure out is some way to leave people money in a way that you know they're just not going to blow it because a lot of people um come into money and then poof it's gone very shortly after and I I want them to really have an appreciation for what we did to earn this money and I want them to appreciate the value of hard work and that they need to make their own way we're just not going to give it to them my daughter had a Funny comment along these lines. She's like, uh, "Yeah, Dad, I want to be financially independent too." I'm like, "Oh, really? That's a great thing thing to aim for. You should totally do that later on in your life when when you grow up." She's like, "No, Dad, you don't understand." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" She's like, "I want to be financial. I want to do it right now." I'm like, "What?" She's like, "Well, I know, Dad, that you don't have a real job like most of my friends' parents. I I want to do the same thing. I don't want to go to school anymore. I just want to be done with it all." <laughs> That is not how this this works. There's a big part in between the financial independence and the school, and it is called a job. And if you want this life, you're going to have to do that part of it too. (laughs) She's like, oh, I was hoping I wouldn't have to. (laughs) Like, nope, this doesn't come for free. Sorry, child. So I don't know. We, We haven't formalized all our plans yet, but I look forward to giving the money away. And one last thing I'll say about this, and my initial plan when I thought about this in the past was just to go like crazy, save as much as we can now, and then upon our death, it'll go to charity. But someone had a good point. They're like, why not start doing that a little bit ahead of time? Like, what if you could give money to your community, like real uh, giving that's in close proximity to you? There's a word for this, which I don't know or a term for it, but where you can actually see the the, the value of it. And there's value into giving to a big charity, too. You know, if you've researched it, that they're going to use your money efficiently. But what if you could like... Help your school out now by buying them solar panels or do something for your local community and you can actually see your money in use while you're alive. And we've done a little bit of that on a small scale, but I I look forward to doing more of that in the future. So the short answer is our kids will not get most of our money. Um, Some wealthy, some worthy, not wealthy, some worthy organization will get it.
1: Gotcha. And that makes a lot of sense to, you know, give to the charity while you can enjoy it and appreciate it. And you know, why, why not do it when you can enjoy it and get, um, yeah, get some of that, not necessarily recognition, but just see what you are able to contribute and the people enjoying it or using it, finding utility, whatever it happens to be. Very cool. And then from, I guess, is there any other like estate planning things that one has to think about? I don't, I don't even I don't even really know.
0: <laughs> I just learned what the word probate is, and I think that's when the state has to figure out what to do with your money. So there's value before you croak and putting a will together or at least writing something down. So you're, okay. someone knows what the hell you wanted your money to go to. And I think even if the state manages it, you know, I shouldn't talk about this because I don't know really anything about it. But you should really write it down so you can decide versus having some organization who might not have your best interests in mind. I'm I'm curious to hear your answer to all these questions. Is it all going to Georgie? Georgie probably won't all of you, but if she does, like if you fall off Longs Peak,
1: yeah, that's um that's a good idea. Maybe we can get get Georgie whatever kind of food she wants. You know, um, but we we haven't figured it out. You know, um, we don't have kids just to make sure everyone knows that. So we don't have any kids. We both have uh, plenty of nieces and nephews though. And I think potentially, you know, that would be something to give some money to. Um, but yeah, we haven't thought about planning, uh, specifically, What exactly is going to happen, especially like if we if we both died, um, like younger, and then we'd had to, you know, the the money would need to go somewhere. So, yeah, we haven't we haven't planned much. And as I just think out loud here, I I would probably, um, you know, get it to some some of the nieces and nephews. Similar what you're of, of what you're talking about with with your kids, Carl. You know, not to give them a, a free ride or anything like that, but to set you know set something up, maybe set some clauses around it, maybe like a Brewster's Million style situation. Do you ever see that movie with uh, Richard Pryor? Right?
0: I, I have. It's been a long time. That's an old movie.
1: Yeah, it's a good. Good movie. It was set in Chicago, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay, yeah, John Candy as well. Look, look it up, people. It's a good movie. I think it's a remake. Um, but anyway, (laughs) the, the premise is the person like Richard Pryor had to do something to get his full inheritance. So I don't think I would set up anything super challenging, but it could be, you know, something more, more interesting than just like, here's a shitload of money, figure out what to do with it. And we have, you know, nieces and nephews, some are about to start college. Some are like, you know, three. So there's a wide range and. I think depending on, you know, what they end up doing, it'd be great to maybe if they if they finish college, right? Here's like a a challenge. If they finish college, then they get it to pay off loans, but they can't use it for anything else. So something where like they had to accomplish something, they had to do it themselves. I think there's great value in like being challenged and, you know, paying for your own car, paying for your college. Even if you have to get loans, like, you know, the true value versus, I mean, I think we've all had friends who had a lot of things given to them. They didn't have to work through some of the challenging shit. And well, I think it can be fine, but we could certainly find examples where people had a little too much given to them and they were maybe a little more entitled. So,
0: yeah, that's interesting. Do your uh, nieces and nephews have you ever, I assume you have not discussed that with them, but you might get a phone call after this episode if they watch <laughs> Uncle Doug's
1: podcast. Yeah, no, I haven't talked to them at all, but I did um the last last trip back to Atlanta, I did tell um a couple of my older nieces and like their their whole family about um, Mr. Money Mustache, pointed out the blog, um mentioned you and I was like, "Hey, you guys should check out this stuff because uh, the my oldest niece, she is uh, you know, very interested and she heard an interview with uh Pete and she really Liked what he was saying and how he approached things. So hopefully, you know, I've I've steered. I just gave him a little information, not enough. Didn't push him. I was like, yeah, you should check out this stuff. I think you could be interested. So they they kind of dug in. So cool
0: that how incredible would that be if they actually took that information and ran with it? Like I've tried to do that. I give. I'm probably the weird uncle because whenever I have people in my family graduate, I give them like the millionaire next door or the simple path to wealth and. And then I ask him like a year later, next time I see him, like, how was the book? And your eyes kind of glaze over. Oh, yeah, it was great. I'm like, okay, so you didn't actually read it. But it's fine. You can't, uh, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I wonder what I would have thought when I was like 18, if I was given like the simple path to wealth, for example. I I think I I was probably weird enough. I, I would have dug in and then... I think I I would have retired when I was like 28 or something. But I mean, I needed to go through all the all the things that I did. But at the same time, I could have made some very different decisions during those uh, those early years, you know. So
0: sure, I I have one more final thing to say on this topic, Doug. That this conversation has triggered in my mind. I actually wrote about this on the blog a a while ago, and I talked about leaving my children money after death. And, and this guy, had a, what I thought was a pretty great comment. He's like, I'm a little bit older than you my my kids are older, they're done in the school. I know they both know what they're doing with money. I know th- they see it for what it is. It's a valuable resource that shouldn't be wasted. So he's like, I could either leave them money upon my death, which is probably still 30 or 40 years ago. And it might, it would still be useful to them, but not nearly as much as, as if I did something now for them. So what I've done for them is I've bought them houses. I, I know they're not going to crazy because I've done this, but I know I've set them ahead by decades by doing this. I've taken the single single bis, biggest expense for most people. I know that they'll save the money that they're saving by not having to pay the mortgage payment. And I think there's value to that. You gotta be really careful. Like maybe I'm too sensitive about this or think too much, but I would I would be really, really mad if I did that for my children. And then I come back like a week later and they've got some brand new car or some shit and they're not maxing out their 401ks and maybe I'm (laughs) too worried about that kind of stuff. But I've thought about that. Maybe I would do something like that for my kids. But if I was absolutely sure they were in a good place and that they had, there's other issues like you could have a spouse come in there. So maybe the house would stay in their name or, and if they have a well-adjusted spouse, their spouse should be okay with that. But eh, another litmus test, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a, it's a tough one. It's a tough one because, yeah, like you said, if they start buying a bunch of bunch of stuff that they don't need or or whatever, then you're you're sitting there judging them.
0: Yeah, and, <laughs> like, and I, I would. would. <laughs> yeah.
1: So and I could see myself thinking, you know what, I want. I don't want your money. I just want to be able to do whatever I want. <laughs> I don't want to hear, uh, you know, noise complaining about, you know, the purchases or whatever, but, um, hopefully Elizabeth can't hear me up there, but yeah, it gets, it gets complicated fast since you're dealing with like people and their emotions. And then you mentioned, Oh, what if a spouse comes into play? And then yeah, super complicated, really fast with just three or four people.
0: Yeah. Maybe I'll just keep all my money and leave it to (laughs) some hamster foundation or something. I don't know.
1: Yeah. All right. We have a meaty question coming up. So this is from Gabriel. I'll I'll read it out for us here. So this is Gabriel from the comment before and really appreciate you listening, Gabriel, and your awesome feedback. I know we gave you a little bit of a hard time, but it's hard to get honest feedback from people. So we we do appreciate it, even though we, (laughs) we, we try to answer some of the questions. Okay. Here is Gabriel's question. I read the simple path to wealth and I remember JL saying that the house is included in assets that you include in your 4% withdrawal. So my question is broader and probably would be more of how a live example of 4% works. I get the premise, however. So how exactly do you apply inflation rates? A live example when you would actually I should have read this a little bit more closely. A live example, when and where you get the number, how does it change when inflation goes up and the market goes down? How do you uh, make your withdrawal all, the, all at once for the year or pull it out monthly? Um, so several different questions here, and we'll, we'll read out each one as we tackle them here. And then finally, Do you guys use the value of your home and your final number to withdraw your 4%? So I know that for a fact, Carl is more versed and and a little bit smarter in these areas. So I'm going to let you hit it first.
0: Yeah, there's a bunch of different questions here. So the first one I want to talk about is the simple path to to wealth question, where he says, Jim Collins, state of the house is included in assets that you include in your 4% withdrawal. I actually do not remember that. And if I'm wrong, please correct me if you're listening to this, or if anyone else has read this, but the 4% rule is based upon a mix of bonds and stocks. Uh, I think it was a 60-40 mix, 60% stocks, 40% bonds. I don't remember the house being in that equation. But this is a tricky thing, and I've had this question come up before, and I think about it often, and I, I don't think... The house should be included in your four percent withdrawal rate, like, and that's for a bunch of different reasons. But one is, let's say you have five hundred thousand in stocks and bonds, and five hundred thousand in the house, and you need forty thousand to live off that house. Well, great. Even if it's paid off, that five hundred thousand dollars, it's not going to. You're going to withdraw. You're going to be at an eight percent withdrawal rate, and you're going to burn through your money much quicker. With that said, I think the house is a pretty – All the equity in it doesn't mean uh, nothing. If you got into a bad situation, you could sell your house. Houses aren't as liquid as, obviously, an ETF or a bond fund, but you could sell your house. So the way I personally look at it is I want to have all the money in my stock portfolio to account for that 4% withdrawal rate and the house is just icing on the cake, it might be a little bit of a bonus at the end if the house appreciates like crazy, or it might not. I think uh, houses are a little bit more... um, Check that. I was going to say houses are more volatile than the stock market, but they usually move hand in hand. Uh, That was actually a dumb thing to say. The stock market is way more volatile. What am I trying to say here? Houses don't move as predictable as the stock market. You always know stocks are up and to the right if you've read The Simple Path to Wealth, if you've given enough time. And houses kind of are that way, but then you have anomalies like 2006, and you have other things that can affect houses. And houses are local, too. If you bought in a place like Longmont 10 years ago, you're doing really, really, really well. Maybe not so much if you're in a, a Midwestern city, which hasn't fared so well since the recession. So a house is icing on the cake, but I personally would not Include it in my calculations. It might be just a little bit of a buffer to put my mind at ease. How about you, Doug? How do you think about your house?
1: So, and backtrack before I answer that. Um, I also listened to the audio version of Simple Path to Wealth, like Gabriel. I don't recall that a house is in your assets either. So I, I agree with you. And again, someone can correct us if if we're mistaken. But I don't recall that. Um, as far as the house, yeah, we don't consider it. In fact, once we started our path to, to, uh, FI, we basically wanted to only look at our taxable accounts. So even though we had money that we contributed to our retirement accounts, 401k Roth, um, other vehicles that we may have, um, We didn't even consider that anymore. In fact, once I started, I, you know, there's probably some issues with this, but once I started down the path, I was like, fuck it. I'm not putting anything else in my 401k. I'm just putting things into my taxable accounts because I have, we have, you know, fairly significant amounts in our 401ks and we can't get to that until we're 55. I know you can in certain instances, but basically we started just putting money into our taxable, um, accounts. So those are our, you know, I have it in E-Trade. My wife has some other account and then we're just in index funds there. So.
0: Oh, Doug, this is really interesting. I'm sorry. We're going to go on a little, uh, sidetrack here, but, but don't worry, Gabriel it is related to money. So I'm curious, have you considered a Roth 401k at least? Cause you know, it, you couldn't get to your money till you're 55, but then that money is growing tax-free from that point on. You don't have to pay any taxes, no matter what it does, I assume, and you don't do a Roth IRA
1: either? Or? We did when we, when we could, or I did when, yeah. what, what's the cap? It's like $130,000 a year, so there's, a, there's a, uh, not a salary cap, there's an annual income cap, so at some point you can't contribute to a Roth anymore.
0: Okay, so you don't consider the Roth four hundred and one k, which you could do. You don't consider that either, just because you want everything to be post tax.
1: Uh, correct. And, and I'm trying to remember. It was around the same time. It was around the same time that I arrived at. Hey, I want to make sure I can get to the money before I'm fifty five or fifty nine. So, and it was right around that time when I, um, I started earning too much to contribute to a Roth.
0: Okay. One thing I think is undervalued is the value of a post-tax strategy, what you said right there. Capital gains don't kick into like $82,000, 80000 it's somewhere right around there. And then you've got a, you're married, so you have a standard deduction of $24,000. you would have to sell a shitload of stock, assuming you have no other income and you're retired, you would have to sell a shitload of stock to pay any taxes on that. Uh, the tax laws could change, but assuming they stay the way they are now, and by the way, they hike that that up every year for inflation. So we've got a lot in post-tax, too, just because we've got lucky with some shares. And if we play our cards right, uh, we might never have to pay any taxes on any of it just because we don't need a lot to live on. Uh, So yeah, Uh, post-tax is underrated, assuming the tax laws stay the same. And that's a pretty big assumption.
1: Right. And and I think, you know, part of it, and I've alluded to this um, a few times, is we were sort of casual, like, five followers. And, and, you know, we were moving generally in the right direction. But some folks um, definitely follow things much more strictly, really try to... um, you know, budget every cent, uh, reduce costs as much as possible, and like all, all of those things. And we were definitely more flexible. I didn't do as much research, super interesting stuff. But as I looked at it, I was like, ah, you know what? I know there's some mechanisms, like there's um, there's ways you can... <laughs> I don't even... I've just heard people talk about it. So I, I know there's certain things you can do to get around um, not being able to access that Retirement money for, uh, you know, what is it, 59 and a half, right? So I know there are certain ways you can get around it, but my eyes glaze over and I get really bored thinking about it. We were just uh, chatting with someone the other day and they mentioned um, like the backdoor Roth and doing all this stuff. And basically they said it was a huge pain in the ass. Is it possible? Sure. Lots of people do it, but I usually, I enjoy being a little more sloppy and just like overcompensating <laughs> at the things that I'm good at, which luckily I've been successful in my, in my business. So it's been easier for me to earn more money and save that than to figure out like the other, other mechanisms to get around some of the rules that are out there. So how far off am I on all, all this stuff? Cause I know when I've chatted with some people, they're like, Oh, why don't you just do this and that? And the other thing.
0: Yeah, oh, that's a great question. I think after a while it just becomes diminishing returns. I know Yeah, I mean you can optimize and do all those things and they might have a lot of value but and it might be millions of dollars in value at the end, but what's the difference between Uh I, I got to back up a second and talk about something before I answer this question because I don't want to sound like like an asshole. So uh, God, Mindy and I learned about financial independence and we just worked our asses off for like uh, 10 years. I wrote a blog post about it called The Death March to Financial Independence. And <laughs> and we had kids at the time too. So all I'd do is work at this job for 40 or 50 hours a week, work on a house for probably 50 or 60 hours a week. And and that was pretty much it. And we did that for like a decade. Like I remember our friends would come over and they're like, oh, what's going on with this zombie TV show? Have you seen this episode? And I'm like, shit, I haven't watched TV in years. So we worked very, very, very hard and sacrificed our life. And I wouldn't recommend this. I would rather have... What I'm getting to here is we saved up more than we need. Even now, we have enough to coast for the rest of our life. And by the time we're older, it'll probably be much, much more. If I could do it over again, I would have less money and have spent some time on my bike and doing more valuable things with my time. But with that said, and back to your original question, you can do all these little optimizations and tweaks, but... At the end, it just becomes a point of diminishing returns. Uh, and if it doesn't interest you, if you'd rather spend your time making YouTube videos than worrying about all this little shit, then don't bother with it. But on the other hand, I would argue that it might be worth talking to a fee-only advisor and see if there are some really simple things that you might be able to do. And he could even do them for you. If if something you do now, you're you're still pretty young, Doug. You have over half your life. There might be something that you could do now. That a financial advisor might say, oh, you, you could do this and I could do it for you for this flat fee or whatever. So you might spend a couple thousand now, but that might be worth hundreds or hundreds of thousands or millions down the road. So if you don't want to do it, don't, but perhaps talk to someone who could guide you. It would just be an hour conversation. Here's, here's my situation it, all this stuff isn't that complicated. It's just that you don't want to, apparently you're lazy, Doug, and don't want to spend the time <laughs> looking at it. But someone else could. Yeah, You're not lazy. You just don't want to spend the time on that thing. You want to do what you want to do. And, uh, you know, I don't even know what i I've heard that before. And I'm the same way, Doug, and I probably should talk to someone too. I just, too lazy to, I don't give a shit to look at it. I, I, you do some kind of conversion and it makes it like taxable to tax free. Uh, I know that much, but I'll probably do what I just suggested to you, Doug, at some point. Yeah. Um especially after Minnie leaves her job because now there's issues with income so we do maximize things now with the 401k to reduce our taxable income but after that's done we probably will talk to someone and see what moves we should make to convert some of that money so we've paid the taxes on it upfront one thing I do think one another random comment is I do think tax rates will go up there's a lot of government debt it continues to go up Uh, So, tax, something's going to have to give at some point, and I don't know what it is, but if you can get your money into some kind of tax-free situation, I think you'll be a lot better off in the long run. And that's all I have to say about that, just like Forrest (laughs) Gump.
1: So, a couple quick ideas before we tackle the rest of Gabriel's question here. So, one is, I think we may have um, guests on the show, uh, Is Eddie and Travis, who have a... um, like a a fee or yeah, they, they have a new, a new advisory practice, right?
0: Yes. Downshift financial, I believe is their name. Yeah. We, they could talk about this much more eloquently than apparently either of us can. So we will have them on the show shortly.
1: And I know it could be, I imagine it could be frustrating, especially for the, the folks, you listener that, um, you know the answer and you know how to do the backdoor Roth and all, all this stuff. But I think the, the thing that's promising and helpful for people is Carl and I have figured stuff out. We've done pretty well. And we we don't know all those details. So if you can optimize even better than us, like you're in great shape. Like we've we've been able to pull it off, and we hardly know anything.
0: Yeah, we're, we're like the lowest common denominators. So yeah, there are much smarter people in the audience, and wave to us as your net worth surpasses ours, and maybe buy me a Tesla too if you're if it really goes crazy
1: you've been talking about that for a while i'm going to be disappointed if you don't have one by the end of the year here
0: uh, you're going to be disappointed then, doug, <laughs> unless you buy me one dog that could be a way to quell your disappointment
1: Man, maybe we could do some kind of ride share thing we've talked about that before like to have it um you know part of the hq package yeah. i don't know
0: so so doug i want to just go on a slightly different tangent just for a second I know you're a pickup truck guy. You've got your, but it's an old pickup truck. He's kept it. He maintains it well. So don't throw Doug under the pickup truck because he owns a pickup truck. But I have a confession, Doug. I I put a reservation on that ugly ass Tesla Cybertruck. What What do you think about that thing? Have we
1: discussed this before? Only briefly. I I didn't love I didn't love the the looks, but. Uh... <laughs> It was fine. So, so you put a you you ordered one.
0: Yeah, it's only a hundred bucks and it's completely refundable. And if you asked, I I do not think I will actually go through with the purchase, but I might too. I don't know. You, you can have it wrapped like uh, Tesla. Supposedly, do you know what car wrapping is? Where they like change the color of the car?
1: I uh, yeah, I'm vaguely familiar. Yeah,
0: yeah. Like Tesla's going to do custom wrappings for it, so you'll be able to pick out the color because it's a stainless steel body, so it looks like a DeLorean if you're familiar with those, but like we could have a mile high five thing with like your face on one of the doors and my face on the others and that'll drive that great. thing around town for advertising that that'll be awesome. People laugh at us, but or maybe throw stuff at us, but it's supposed to be indestructible, right? You could shoot at it and, uh, at least a low caliber bullet won't penetrate it. But I'll let you know if I go through that purchase, it'll be another couple of years before that thing comes out.
1: I was going to say it'll be like five years before you even would see it. So, all right. So the other part of this question, oh, to the green conclusion here is don't include your home in the 4% and your example at the very beginning, Carl, is perfect while it, you know, it could be valuable, you're not going to be able to easily pull income out of it. So don't consider your house in in the 4%. Okay. Next is, how exactly do you imply, uh, apply inflation? So how do you consider inflation?
0: So the inflation rate is actually baked into the 4% rule. And to back up a second, calling it the 4% rule is a bit wrong. When the when this thing was originally written by Bill Bangin, it was just a very loose rule of thumb. Rule sounds very stringent, and that's not what it was. This is just meant to be a loose guideline. But when he wrote this, he said... You ratchet up every year for inflation, and he had one view on it. Uh, other people have different views on how to do it. Some people think you should take the government target inflation rate, which is between two and three percent every year and uh, I forgot what it is exactly, but they just use that exact same number. Other people say you should take the real inflation rate, which for example, might be a lot more this year, but not so much in other years so th- the bottom line with this one is the four percent rule accommodates that already. You're going to take out whatever your 4% is the first year and then every year ratchet it up for inflation.
1: Perfect. The only thing that I'll add is I, I think... If, as long as you sort of keep an eye on how things are going. So, like you said, inflation this year is probably going to be higher. Who knows what the future is going to bring, even though the, the target may be, you know, 2 to 3% or whatever. It could be lower, it could be higher. And I think we all should probably keep an eye on how things are going. Typically, you have, you know, sort of a, a war a war chest of money, you know, doing, doing its work for you. And you have many years to course correct. So if you're overrunning what you expected in real terms, you can maybe not go on as many vacations or do as much the following year or a couple years after. Or if you have a great year and you have you're ahead of where you thought you would be, then maybe you could spend a little bit more and take a bigger vacation that year. So it's just valuable to to keep an eye on things you don't have to look every day you you check out your accounts like every day right
0: uh pretty much every hour on some <laughs> days and unfortunately i'm not joking i
1: i'm more of a like a quarterly um i'll I'll take a look um so i i don't even know if if the stock market's up or down on any given day unless someone told me about it
0: The stock market. And with that said, I do not take action. I find it entertaining. Um, So it's my form of watching TV. But, Doug, I I actually just had a bad experience with inflation. Before I go into that real quick, uh, the thought I've had is I don't think inflation affects the early retiree as much as it affects normal people. Like, what's the big thing inflation lately? It's been gas, like fuel for your car. And we don't drive that much, so it's not an issue uh clearly you and i don't spend a lot on clothes this t-shirt came in a four pack or three pack of costco that was like twelve dollars um food we're not on business trips i guess if you were on that your company would pay for it but if things did get bad we just don't take a vacation and we eat at home more so i don't think inflation affects us as much but i had a very bad experience with inflation just yesterday doug the good news is nacho fries are back at Taco Bell. So I, I took my daughter there. She wanted to go for the nacho fry box, which used to be $5 up until like last time it came out a month or two ago. Yesterday, I went to Taco Bell and it was five ninety nine. So like 20% inflation. Like, holy shit. So we might have to scale back the Taco Bell nacho fry habit, which is probably a good thing anyway. Less spending on medical care down the road.
1: I haven't uh, had those before. That sounds pretty good, though. I mean, I like um, nachos and I like fries. So, what what are they? They're just it's like fries and
0: yeah, they're fries. They put some red seasoning on them. Who knows what that is? The problem with it is they're always like cold and shitty when they come out. Like uh, I don't know what. At least our local Taco Bell has got has not gotten that part right, and they give you some one of that that big fake cheese like Vada shit that you can dip them in. Pretty good, but not good for you.
1: Hmm. I think that could be a cool thing to make at home, like. I don't know if you've seen this youtube um uh, you know what i can't remember the name of the YouTube channel, so i'll just stop here, but he'll occasionally um, it'll be some dish like a taco bell um entree and then he'll make it with premium ingredients and make and like do a really good job as a chef, so he'll spice it up and make it much better so it sounds pretty good.
0: oh, I like that. Where has that YouTube channel been my whole life?
1: I'll have to look that up. So maybe we'll put a link. We're bad at show notes, so we'll see. Okay. And then the final thing here uh, from Gabriel mentions, do you make the withdrawal all at once for the year? And what is the advantage of doing that versus monthly?
0: I think there's a huge advantage of doing it as needed. And I'm going to refer back to one of the Mad Fientist blog posts. He talks about the value of front-loading, which means as soon as you have money, you invest it. So if you want to max out your 401k, you should max it out in January. Like Do it as soon as possible. And that's because most days on the stock market are up days. Of course, it's going to go up and down, but most of the time, and I don't know what the exact numbers are, it goes up. And I think it's not that much different. It might be like 54, 46. So what that tells you is... You should always have as much money in the market and not in cash. If you have it in cash, you're losing money to deflation. Once you sell it, you're spending money for the year. You're going to have it in cash, which isn't good. So, I'm not at the point yet because Mindy still works, but when we do it, we would probably do it maybe not quite monthly, but maybe quarterly. I definitely would not want that whole chunk of money sitting around in my account for the entire year, though. What what do you think, Doug?
1: yeah I, I agree hundred percent and we too are not at a point where we're we're still in the accumulating phase um, my wife has a full-time job like like yours so we get insurance through her company and then i I work online which i'll I'll probably I'll probably continue doing for a while until I'm not having fun anymore and it's enough to pay for our expenses and and save some as well. So we're not in the, um, we're not in the phase where we're making any withdrawals or anything, but like you said, if, if you don't, if you don't need the money right away, you may as well leave it in the market and you can set up, you know, probably with any of the brokerages to, um, Pay out the dividends monthly, or however you want to do it. So currently, the way I have it set up, and, and are you on E-Trade too? Or um, I'm
0: about to go back to E-Trade, okay. actually, which is a. But I know what you're talking about. You can either have it automatically re- reinvest or take the cash.
1: Yep. So y- you can set it up that way, however you want to do it, or set up monthly, um, you know, tra- transactions and transfers into your account, however you want to do it. There's a good chance you may end up in a situation like myself and many other people where you you work a little bit and it may be enough to cover your costs. so You wouldn't actually have to make any withdrawals. So it could be valuable. And it's great, Gabriel, that you, you are thinking about all the details here. But once you start moving in the right direction and you accumulate a certain amount, usually you have a lot more flexibility than it feels like, especially when it's called the 4% rule. It's like a the four percent guideline, but that's not as sexy and it doesn't sound as official. As long as you're moving and trending in that direction, you're probably going to be very confident at, at the end when you've accumulated what you think you need. And depending on what's going on in the world, the stock market may be growing a lot. Maybe it's a little more stagnant. I mean, we've been growing for many years so i wouldn't be surprised if we have a couple level years here in the next 10 or something i mean how could i that's probably a pretty good bet that we're going to have two or three level years something like that out of the next 10 or 12 so i was kind of going all over the place but
0: i have one statement and then i have a follow-up question for you doug so i'm gonna about to say probably the most controversial and maybe hated thing i'll I've said yet on the podcast. Um, I hate dividends. I I don't like them. But the thought I had the other day actually is um, we've, we have close to a million dollars in VTSAX. And I think that pays out like 2%. And you just alluded to this with, with what you said. So I think we're on the same page here is 2% of a million bucks is $20,000. So if you're pretty frugal and lean, that's going to cover a lot of your expenses and you won't have to touch it. So anyway, the question I have for you, which really isn't based on that, but would you have a hard time moving to a situation like now you're still in the accumulation phase? Would it be hard for you the first time to actually like sell stuff and start drawing down that big chunk of change?
1: Me? No, I don't think I'd have an issue with it. I think my wife who's upstairs, I think she may be able to hear me. I think she would have more of an issue because at that point money's not coming in. So we've gone through so many years where money was coming in and now, money's not coming in we're actually like starting to interfere with the you know growth there Um, for me though because I've you know I did the corporate thing for a while and then I figured out how to earn money myself I'm confident that I could earn money uh, even if I got a job or whatever but I could also like start a business again like I feel like that's a skill that I have now. And you can do that. Like there's always a problem to be solved. And that is, you know, the, the foundation of like a good business, I think. So I wouldn't have an issue with it just because I'm, I got a big enough head and I think I'm so awesome that I could like earn money again in the future.
0: Uh, yeah, we had an episode about this a uh, couple of episodes ago. That was redundant. And, and so I, one of the points we had in that was it's so easy to make money now. With the Internet, you could take pictures of crap on your phone. I know someone who does this and puts them on some stock photo website. and makes pretty good money, like not enough to sustain life, but if you can bring your 4% withdrawal down to like a two or three percent with some silly side hustle that you enjoy like why the hell not you like taking pictures how much more effort is it to upload them to some fucking stock photo website and let people pay a dollar for them or or stick them on a mug I, i think I th- there's actually a mug with your face on it upstairs Doug. we should sell those on once we get that that'll be product number two after the mesh tank top the dug mugs it kind of flows to the dug mug
1: it does it does flow we'll have to figure out something for you maybe we can get um we'll get a picture of you wearing the mesh on a mug so it's, it's all together and you'll be holding one of the mugs with the image on there too
0: and, and Doug, I have another idea around that. We'll threaten to send them to people and they could pay us not to send, not to, for that mug not to arrive in their mail. <laughs> and I
1: think, oh man, I just I had a great idea. I have a feeling Gabriel's not going to like this one either. Thanks for being a good sport, by the way. But here's the thing you're wearing the mesh tank top on the mug. When you fill it with a warm liquid, then the tank top disappears. You're ahead of me. Yeah. You already knew. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. It's like, um, yeah, any warm liquid liquid that you want. It doesn't matter. It can be coffee, tea, other fluids that are warm.
0: (laughs) Uh, It's so disturbing at so many levels, Doug. Uh, Yeah. There's one more thing I think we have to say about the 4% rule before this ends. And I think the most misunderstood part about the 4% rule is that It is a worst case scenario rule or guideline, however you want to say that. Uh, if you read Michael Kitsis, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. There are most times in history you can withdraw, you can withdraw more than the 4% rule. He had a post about it. He did all his back study. And when you withdraw 4%, a lot of times you ended up with like twice of what you initially started with after 30 years, even ratcheting it up for inflation. So the the 4% rule is, just the very, if you're very nervous, and there are a couple times in history when it's failed, but it's not that frequent. We talked about this in the 4% returns, in the 4% show, um, sequence of returns is what I was trying to say there. If the stock market takes a big dump right after you quit your job, you might have some issues, but what's the best time to go back to work? Probably right after you quit your job. Yep. So use it as a general guideline, use it as a worst case scenario, and don't be afraid to level at all, maybe even buy your friend a, a Tesla if uh, your net worth goes really, really well.
1: Awesome. So, before I ask you for your final thoughts here, we have a couple things to plug. One, tell a friend about the show. If you know they like YouTube, send them the YouTube link. If they listen to podcasts, let them know. That's probably the best way that you could help us out. Some people have been asking about that. We definitely appreciate it and all the support so far. If you like to leave reviews or or ratings or anything, do it on whatever podcast platform that you listen on. We appreciate that. We haven't, um, we see that many of them are coming in. We haven't started reading them, but that could be a segment that we add to some shows where we just read some of the, the comments, um, the, glow, the glowing ones, and maybe some of the more negative ones as well, because I think those could be pretty funny. Make jokes in them. I think it'll be hilarious if you bust our balls in, in the uh, reviews. And finally, we have our email list, the Mile High Fi Club it's our newsletter. We don't spam you. Usually I just send out notification when the episodes come out, give you a little heads up. We're probably going to start, um, as fall kicks in and we have a little bit more free time. We'll probably send out a little bit more, maybe more newsletter style things. Um, maybe on a monthly basis, something like that. So we don't spam you, but sign up for that email list.
0: Yeah. The good thing about us, or at least me, because I'm responsible for this, is I'm too lazy to do much work on it. So, Doug is correct. you won't get a million emails. Sorry, Doug.
1: No, no. That's 100% right. And I do need to give a shout out to our friend Carla, who was on the show. She's going to help us out with some of the production stuff, like maybe even writing some of the newsletter material and some other things like that. She's a very... um, talented writer and has been a great support for the show so far.
0: Doug, that is a fantastic idea. One less thing that that we have to do. Maybe mm-hmm. we'll get it eventually, get to a point where we don't have to even record or show up the show is just. cool. Yeah. I, I don't know how that would work. It sounds complex. And...
1: I think it would just be us sending Marco Polos back to each other and then recording that. That would just be a train wreck. <laughs> yeah. If you think this is bad, <laughs> wait until you get the Marco Polo version. <laughs> All right. So any, any final thoughts, Any anything that you thought of from any of the questions? You want to wrap it up in, in any way. It's okay if you don't.
0: Yeah. I, this is a theme that keeps on coming up, but the main th- thing to, um, especially the last question, is just to be flexible in life. Don't be super rigid just because someone tells you the 4% rule. You don't have to withdraw 4%. 4%. You can do less. In some cases, you can do more. Um, Yeah,
1: that's it.
0: That's it. Be flexible.
1: Yep. I I agree. And, you know, I'll reiterate it's awesome that, you know, we can get into the super detailed numbers and think about, oh, what if we withdraw, you know, 3.62% and, you know, let's assume this for inflation. They're all going to be assumptions. And it's great to have that as a, plan to follow, but with the real data and your flexibility, then you can adapt to whatever you need to be. And uh, potentially, you know, like we've said before, you know, you can go back to work or or you could do something part-time that you enjoy work at a store where you can get a discount. You enjoy the people, it's your tribe of folks. And I think that'd be a great way to earn a little bit of money to offset any you know inflation that you may run into or poor returns that you weren't expecting right when you retired, for example. So flexibility, like you said,
0: yeah. People talk about the internet retirement police and they criticize people like me for earning money. The, the blog makes a little bit of money for earning money. You get like hateful tweets or emails. Ah, you're not really retired. You still do this blog, but I invented something recently. I'm going to recruit you, Doug, for this. It's called the internet couch police, which is the opposite of the internet retirement police. And this is if. If you retire and do what the internet retirement police say to do, which is apparently sit on the couch and watch TV and never earn another dollar in my life, I think you're leading a very poor and pathetic life. So if you do do that and your hands are orange with Cheeto dust and you're watching I Love Lucy reruns or, God, that's really dating myself. I don't know what reruns people watch. now. I'm going to... The internet couch police are going to come to your house and pry your sticky... Um, rotund body, sweaty body off the couch and make you do some work.
1: All right. That's a great invention. Good, good thinking.
0: (laughs) Doug, I have a badge for you in my bag. I'll give it to you after the show.
1: I'll be deputized. That sounds good. All right. Well, this was awesome. Please send in more questions. Um, We'll be doing these episodes uh, occasionally, not too often, but just enough for uh, Carl and us to start giggling like girls. So, all right, Carl, have a good one. Thank you.